If you want to follow along in the scriptures, we're looking at Mark chapter 4, a familiar passage of Jesus stilling the storm, verses 35 through 41. Our very own Lenny Carell is going to be speaking. Always look forward to what Lenny has to say. We're thankful for he and his wife, Sarah, and their ministry here at CBC over the years. Let's pay attention to the word of God. That day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. We're talking about the Sea of Galilee. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your gracious goodness. We praise you for the Lord Jesus, who has his presence in the hearts of all of us who have trusted in his name. Thank you that you are in our boat of life. We praise you and we ask now for Lenny that your spirit would empower him and give him your words for us today. And we pray in your name, Lord, for your glory. Amen. Good morning. Well, I am excited about this morning. We're going to go down memory lane a little bit this morning, and we're going to look at four stories that we've all heard since we were two, three years old, if you grew up in the church but I think they're incredibly powerful stories that really can impact our lives with the lessons that the disciples learned. I know that most of us, if not all of us, have been on a boat. And for me, that is one of the most relaxing things in life, is to get on a boat when the sea is calm or the river's calm or whatever. You're chilling, the sun is nice, you're out there, you've got a fishing pole in the water, and you are just kind of taking it in. And it's extremely relaxing. Right? It's, a, it's an incredible experience. On the flip side of that, there's nothing more worrisome than to be paddling a canoe in the wind, in the pouring rain, and it's freezing outside, and you're like, am I going to make it? You just kind of want to throw in the towel and throw in the oars and say, I can't do this. It is way too much work. It is not relaxing at all. Right? It's pretty, uh, pretty crazy. You know, I've had the opportunity to fish a lot with my boys, and that's one of the things that my boys love to do. And we've got a lot of different fish stories, um, and we're going to hear some good fish stories today from the scriptures. But one of the most deadliest jobs, though, in the world is a crab fisherman. And there's a show out there called The Deadliest Catch. And these men, 
go out there, and some women go out on the Bering Sea, and they battle the most brutal storms that you can imagine. 40, 50 foot waves. They're battling, you know, uh, throwing these big thousand pound crab pots into the ocean. And every year, they have crab fishermen that, that die because of the weather, because of the enormity of the storms that they face. And you can imagine the complexity of these storms, right? They go out regardless if there's storms or not because they've got to make a living. Whereas most people, if they know a storm's coming, they're not necessarily going to go out into a sea or into a river or into a lake. They're not going to do it because it would be unwise. Well, I want to touch base on four stories like I said. And the reason I came to this conclusion of why I wanted to speak this was because in the book of Mark... The, the term boat is used multiple times. And we've been going through the book of Mark in youth group on Tuesday nights. And we've kind of been working through that. And at one point, a couple months ago, I came to the story of the stilling of the storm. And the one right after that is the man that was possessed by legion. All right. And they'd just gone through the stilling of the storm and they come across the lake and they hit the ground. And Jesus hops out of the boat, it says, and all of a sudden this crazy man comes and he rushes the boat. And this wasn't just your ordinary average man that uh, that came to them. This was a man with an unclean spirit that came from the tombs and met him. This wasn't your ordinary man. This was the man that couldn't be bound and would cry out and cut himself with stones. And my mind immediately jumped to the people in the boat, the disciples. And I'm pretty sure that if I was in that boat with the disciples, I would have been like, I'm good. I'm going to stay right here in this boat, right? Because this crazy man just came that was possessed by these demons. I'm like, hey, this is nice and safe and cozy in here. I'm good. And so I started thinking about this boat and the amount of times that it's mentioned in the book of Mark. And I started thinking about what are these lessons that these disciples learned while in that boat? What was that boat to them? It was something that they were very familiar with, was it not? They found comfort in that boat. They knew the ins and outs of how it operated and how it moved in the water. They knew how to maneuver it. Think about the amount of time that those men spent fishing, rowing, and sailing in that boat. At least four that we know of were fishermen that were disciples, and possibly two more, which we'll see here in a little bit in uh, the end of John where it talks about, you know, the other two, Thomas and uh, the other one, they go out with them fishing. But it was often a place of escape as well, this boat. They were surrounded. You can imagine following Jesus. And if you've read through the Gospels, which all of you, most of you probably have, there are crowds and multitudes continually around Jesus. And it was often a place of escape and rest for the disciples. It was a way for them to get away from the crowds, regroup, regather themselves, and to really think about what they'd just seen. Imagine the conversations that were had on that boat in their times of relaxation where they're like contemplating, wow, Jesus just fed 5,000 people? Wow, did you see him heal this person over here? Think about that. It was also their occupation, right? At least four of them and possibly two others were fishermen. Um, and it was part of their calling, right? They were mending the nets. So as I began to think about this, and as I began to think about 
the fishermen and the disciples and their interactions with Jesus on the boat, I started kind of contemplating and thinking through the different passages that we're all familiar with regarding the disciples being in that boat. So what I'd like to do is I would like to look at these four passages together. And I know it's a lot, but hopefully we'll cram it into a short amount of time and hopefully there'll be good lessons that we can kind of pull from. And I want you guys to think too, if you were a disciple and all the lessons that you've learned through that boat, do you think you would go back in the archives of your memory when you're in the book of Acts and doing all these things and remember the lessons that you learned in that boat? I think multiple times in the disciples' lives, they looked back on their time with Jesus while he was on earth when they're in the midst of that storm or when they see Jesus walking on the water or when they see Jesus saying, hey, throw your net on this side and you'll see tons of fish. Do you think they remember that? Absolutely, I do. I think that fueled their ministry because they saw and knew who their God was. And they knew that in the midst of the storms, in the midst of things where they stepped out in faith, whatever it was, they were reminded of those lessons that Jesus taught them on that boat. So I'd like to kind of work through those uh, with us. Now, if I ask questions in the middle of this, feel free to answer. (laughs) I'm used to teaching on Tuesday nights with 25 people packed in my little living room, and I throw out a question. And so if I ask a question or whatever, just throw out an answer. It won't hurt my feelings. I'm not, it's not rhetorical necessarily. But I'd like to start here. The first one, which we just read, which John just read to us. I'm going to read it again, and then I'm going to kind of work through that passage, and then we'll go to the next one. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go across to the other side of the lake. So after leaving the crowd, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat, and other boats were with him. Now a great windstorm developed, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was nearly swamped. But he was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. They woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care that we are about to die? So he got up, he rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Be quiet, calm down. Then the wind stopped, and it was dead calm. And he said to them, Why are you cowardly? Do you still not have faith? They were overwhelmed by fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Do you guys realize that it was Jesus' idea to go across that sea? It wasn't the disciples. Right at the beginning it says, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go across to the other side of the lake. Alright? So it was Jesus' idea. Alright, and his point was really looking forward to what was going to occur on the boat, and then as well, this demon-possessed man that they come into once they get to the other side of the lake. But it was Jesus' idea for them to get into the boat and go to the other side. And when they're in the middle of this lake, what happens? All of a sudden, a great storm occurs. So bad that the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was nearly swamped. Now, I don't know about you, but that would freak me out. I would be kind of crazed and I'd be like, what is going on? Why are we in the middle of this lake here? The waves are coming over. We're going to die. We're going to drown. We're two to three miles out. There's no way for us to swim back. And it was a brutal storm. Let me ask you a question. Was Jesus in the boat with them? Yes, he was. Did it seem like he was in the boat with the disciples? No, it probably didn't. 
Now, I don't know how Jesus was sleeping in the back of a boat when it's getting swamped, and he was probably soaking wet, probably sawing logs. I don't know. But to the disciples, it may have not necessarily seemed that Jesus, the one that they'd seen do all these miracles, was in the boat with them. But we know for a fact that he was. What did the disciples do? I mean, these are tried and true fishermen. I'm sure that they had seen pretty big storms in their life. Right? But this seems to be, above all else, an incredible storm that they were afraid because they thought they were going to die. So they wake up Jesus and say, Hey, don't you care that we are about to die? What state were they in? They were panicking. They were hitting the panic button real quick, saying, we're going to die. We don't know what to do. We can't control this boat. The waves are coming in. We're going to drown. And they wake up Jesus and say, hey, don't you care that we're in the midst of this storm? Jesus wakes up, and what does he do? Right? He gets up and he rebukes the wind and says to the sea, be calm. Quiet down. And what happens? This boggles my mind that instantly the sea and the waves are dead calm. You thought the disciples were afraid while the storm was going on. What's the response when all of a sudden the waves and the wind are just dead? What does it say? It says, They were overwhelmed by fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Their fear switched to fear of dying to realizing, who is this guy? The power that he exhibited, the authority that he exhibits in that boat is remarkable. That nature itself obeys him. Now, we've all been in life. We've all lived life. And I can look around in the room here and say, you know what? We've all gone through storms in our life, have we not? And we don't necessarily know when those storms are going to occur. Because if we knew when those storms were going to occur, we wouldn't go through them, would we? You think about how quick they come up. I can remember a time, silly story, we're at Emmaus, I'm with Robert, and I think we were driving Wanda, which was the name of his car. Don't ask me why it was named Wanda. But we were driving Wanda, and we're driving, and it's in the middle of winter, and we're driving down this road, and we're going, I don't even know where we're going, maybe get... Hardy's or something like that. But we were driving down this road and it was windy or it was icy and snow and all of a sudden we're doing 360's down this hill and there's cars on either side of us. And we get to the bottom and all of a sudden we just stop. We didn't hit anything but we just stop and we're like, yeah, let's do that again. (laughs) Right? I mean, we didn't know that that was going to happen. I mean, it just happened. Right? We're camping last, last fall with the youth up at Eisenhower. And all of a sudden, the sirens start going off. And it's about 11.30 at night, and this storm hits. And we're like, all right, this is bad. And it was to the point where the wind just picked up, and the rain came, and all of a sudden, all the kids were like, get out of the tent, get in the vehicles. All of us were sitting in these cars. And we're sitting there waiting, and we go back. Every single tent had collapsed, All the water was filled in those tents. Some of these kids are freaking out like, what in the world? And we end up bringing the kids back to the church because there was just no way. Everything was drenched. That storm came up quick. 
What about the phone call that says, hey, your dad has stage four cancer? Or hey, your son or your daughter is in the hospital? Or simple things like my son playing basketball and he was, he's sixth grade and this happened this year where they were going to play the fifth grade team and he was really excited. He's like, we're going to dominate these guys. We're going to go in there. We're going to destroy them. You know, and he was just super excited. And when he gets in there, and you you got to know Robbie. I mean, Robbie's just a little bulldog. He's just, he's going to go for it. But he got in there, and I could tell the storm was brewing. Because the good guys that were on the sixth grade team, some of them were sitting on the sidelines, and this fifth grade team was really good. And it came to the point where everything Robbie did, it just failed. And he got his ankles broken by a fifth grader. And if ankles broken, what that means is, is that this guy makes this move on you and you fall down. And of course, everybody in the gym bursts laughing. And if you know my son Robbie, he's very, very sensitive. And that's a storm of life, is it not? Where I could see it brewing as his dad and I'm sitting there on the sidelines just wanting to get him out of that situation. And I could tell right away that the tears were welling up and he bolted out of that gym and I followed him. We don't know how quickly the storms arise, but they do arise. And we need to be prepared for those storms. But let me ask you a question. Who led you into that storm? Jesus did, did he not? Just like he led those disciples into the middle of the sea, he knew the storm was coming. And he led them there. So that why? They could see who he was and the authority that he exhibited for that storm. When you're in the midst of the storm, sometimes it doesn't feel like Jesus is with you either. You're like, where are you? Why am I going through this? What's the deal? But we need to realize that Jesus is there. And he is ever present with you in the midst of that storm. And you can trust him with that storm. Do you realize that God is all powerful and sovereign over all things, even that storm? When should you be preparing for the storm? Now, right? It's going to be pretty difficult to prepare for the storm if you're in the middle of it and you weren't prepared for it. Right? Think about that. If the disciples knew that the storm was coming, they would not have gone. Or if they did go, they would have been really, really prepared with life jackets and all kinds of stuff so that they could buff the storm. So if it did overtake them, they would just be able to float their way back to shore. See, Allie's not that big. Right? But think about this. We need to be preparing now because we know those storms are going to come. It's a reality. God does not promise us a life of ease. But He does promise us that He is strong and secure and that we can trust Him no matter what storm of life we go through. Hebrews 13 says, I will never leave you and I will never abandon you so you can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper and I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Romans 8 says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor heavenly rulers, nor things that are present, nor things that are come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pretty amazing. Matthew 7 says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built this house on the rock, And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who has built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, 
The floods came, the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Where's your foundation in the midst of those storms? Do you think the lessons learned in the middle of that storm, when they observed Jesus' authority over the storm that they were in, do you think that affected their ministry as you read through Acts? I want to say it did. Because they pulled back the archive. Because they faced a lot of storms, did they not? They faced life and death on a daily basis. But I'm sure that they looked back on that day and remembered who Jesus was and why they were following him. Because he could be trusted and he was their rock. So that's story number one. Story number two is in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. And I will read that. I'll read it as you guys are turning there if you want. You don't have to. You can just listen along. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted, once again, by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn... Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So this story basically takes place right after the feeding of the 5,000. Think about what they just saw and partook in. They saw Jesus feed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And immediately following that, they get into a boat and Jesus goes off to pray. So why do you think Jesus had them go into the boat and he goes off by himself? Well, I think one, to get away from the crowds. Jesus wanted the disciples to get into that boat to get away from the crowds. And two, I think he really wanted them to think about what they had just seen and heard Jesus do. And it wasn't just 5,000 people. Think about women and children. It was a ton of people that Jesus miraculously just fed. And he wanted them to ponder that, to think on that. And what a greater way to do that than to get into a boat away from all the crowds and talk amongst yourselves about what you had just seen. Pretty remarkable. So, in the middle of this, the disciples had probably rowed three or four miles out into the middle of the sea. It was the fourth watch of the night, some of the other passages say, which basically means somewhere in between three and six in the morning. So I'm sure they're probably pretty tired, right? Pretty worn out from rowing. They were in the middle of the sea, and once again, it gets windy and more challenging. And I don't know if you've ever been in a canoe or something like that where it is windy. I can remember at camp going out and I was doing my senior canoeing badge, whatever it was. And I had to be in a canoe by myself and I had to go around the two islands and come back. Well, the day that I had to do it, it was extremely windy. 
And so it's not the easiest of things to paddle a canoe in the wind where the waves are kind of choppy and you're by yourself. If you paddle on one side, you're just going to do donuts and go round and around and around, right? So you've got to know how to maneuver that canoe. It's hard work. And so here they were in the third watch or fourth watch of the night, and they're rowing, and they're getting tired. And then all of a sudden, Jesus decides to join them, right? Think about that. They're three, three and a half miles offshore, and all of a sudden they see this man walking in the middle of the sea. What would your response be? What was their response? A ghost. They didn't know what to do. They were afraid. But how does Jesus respond to them? He says, it's I. Do not be afraid. And the next challenge is the thing that just boggles my mind. I don't know who all would do this in this room, but basically Peter says, hey, Lord... If it's really you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, I don't know what was going through Peter's mind at that point in time. From a human perspective, it was not the brightest of decisions. But Peter, being rich in faith, was like, Hey, if you're really the Lord, tell me to come to you on the water. And what does Jesus say? He says one word. Come. So what happens next? Peter gets out of the boat. And he starts walking towards Jesus. And then all of a sudden, what happens? He starts getting distracted by all the things that are around him. He's like, whoa, I'm actually walking on the water. And he starts looking around. These waves, they're pretty big. This wind, it's pretty, uh, pretty enormous. What's going on? And then Peter, because he got sidetracked, This is one thing that amazes me. He doesn't sink like a rock. How many of you tried to walk on water? You immediately sink and you go to the bottom. He does not sink like a rock to the bottom, does he? No. Peter began to sink when his faith shifted from the firmness of Jesus' word to the instability of his circumstances. And when he did it, it was Jesus letting him sink slowly. And for Peter, that was grace. Think about that. He does not immediately sink to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. He slowly begins to sink. And that is Jesus extending grace to Peter. It's pretty awesome. How is that grace? What does Peter do? He cries out, Lord, save me! And does Jesus say, Sorry, dude. I'm not going to save you. No. There's a word in there that blows my mind, and it is the word immediately. He says, Lord, save me. And Jesus' response was, let me read it to you. It says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And it says, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Here, Peter takes an enormous step. He comes... Because of God's word. And what was that word? It was a simple word. Come. And he obeys. He steps out of the boat. But so often in life we get distracted by all the instability around us that we take our eyes off of the word of God. We take our eyes off of the firm foundation. And we get distracted and we begin to sink. 
And then what happens? We cry out to God, and it doesn't say He waits and says, sorry dude, suffer the consequences, you're going to drown. No! When we cry out to God, it says He immediately reaches out and He saves and rescues Peter. Right? That's remarkable. It's awesome to think about that. Peter had faith in Jesus' word, and that word was come, and he stepped out of the boat. Jesus' word is stronger and more powerful than anything we see or feel around us. When doubt comes in, sometimes he lets us to start to sink, but when, they, when we cry out immediately, he reaches out to rescue us. And what was the response by the disciples? I mean, these other guys are sitting in the boat, and they're watching Peter. They're watching him walk on water. They're watching him walk to the Lord who's out in the middle of the sea. And they see him starting to sink and Jesus rescuing him. They get back into the boat. Once again, the sea is calm. What was their response? Truly, you are the Son of God. What a response. How often in our lives do we step out in faith and all of a sudden we're like, whoa, how did I get here? And we start looking around. I did that in preparation for this message. I agreed and said, yeah. And all of a sudden, why did I do that? You know? I mean, that's the reality, right? So often we get distracted and we start looking around. We're in the midst of this big deal. And we take our eyes off of really where our peace and our joy and our foundation is found. And it's in Christ. Truly, you are the Son of God. The next passage is in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats and one of the boats belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished as the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now talk about a fish story, right? We've all got fish stories, or some of us have fish stories but this is the ultimate fish story, right? Imagine that. These are true and true fishermen, hadn't caught anything all night, and all of a sudden, the boats are sinking because they caught so many fish. In this story, basically, Jesus transforms this boat into an evangelism tool. Does he not? He takes this boat initially in this chapter, in this passage. He puts that boat out from the shore, and he says, hey, I'm going to sit on this boat, and I'm going to teach. So imagine what he was teaching the crowds. Imagine what the fishermen heard as he's sitting there on the boats and he's proclaiming God's word to these people on the shores. Pretty awesome. 
pretty neat scene to see Jesus kind of just sitting on the bow and communicating with the crowds that are on shore. What are the disciples doing? Well, the disciples are mending their nets, right? They're making sure everything's set and ready for the next day, right? This was their occupation. This is what they do. They're on the boat, and they had fished all night, and they had caught nothing. So they're kind of cleaning up. You know, I've heard the story that, you know, basically for a person who owns a boat, the two best days are the day you buy the boat and the day you sell it, right? Because there's so much work involved in a boat, right? There's cleaning the boat. There's, there's mending the nets, all that stuff. That's what they were doing. Well, basically at this point, once he's done talking to the crowds, he asks Peter and says, hey, hop in the boat. Let's go out into the deep section here, and I want you to cast out the nets and, you know, to catch some fish. Now, Peter... I'm sure in his mind, he was like, okay, I'll obey, but really, I'm a fisherman. We've caught nothing all night. The fish aren't biting, plain and simple. You're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. I know the fishing ins and outs, right? But he says, because you have asked me to do it, I will do it, right? Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will do this. And what happens next is amazing, Basically, they let their nets down, and when they did, they caught such a miraculous amount of fish, their nets began to break. Not only that, but there were so many fish that the boats began to sink. Imagine the enormity of fish that they had caught at that instance. And what was Peter's response? Think about Peter's response as he goes and he experiences this, because he's a fisherman tried true and true. And he's just experienced something that he's probably never experienced before in his life. He's fished all night, caught nothing. All of a sudden, Jesus says this, and all of a sudden, they've got so many fish that the nets are breaking, that they had just mended on the shore. And not only that, the boats are sinking. And he says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He's seen Jesus calm a storm. And now he's seeing Jesus command and direct fish. So many that it overtakes a boat. And he does it for what? For the purpose of their calling. He wants them to realize what their calling is going to be. Do you think Peter reached back as he's going through the book of Acts and seeing the multitudes and multitudes of people coming to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, seeing the multitudes saved, do you think he went back to this time and period where Jesus called him from being a fisherman to being a fisher of men? I can guarantee you Because I think the same word in Greek, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm probably wrong, but that word multitude for these fish is the same as the multitudes of people that are coming to Christ in the book of Acts. And I love Jesus' response. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And the disciples' response is pretty amazing too. They pulled their boats ashore, and they left everything and followed him. What an incredible lesson. Not only do we see the authority that Jesus has over the fish in the Sea of Galilee, but he uses this lesson to tell them that their calling would be to catch men. They would no longer be fishers of fish, but fishers of men. And that multitudes, thousands of people, which we see in the book of Acts, would be caught. And they would be caught by what? By the preaching of the gospel, which is what? The preaching that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He came to die on the cross for mankind, to take all of their sin upon Himself, 
and to be raised again on the third day. And that message in the book of Acts explodes. And it explodes from the persecution on. And you see it. Amount of people. You see the multitudes coming to Christ. Jesus calls them from that boat. And he says, you're not going to be fishers of fish anymore. You're going to be fishers of men. Pretty amazing. The last story I'm going to read is in John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. And once again, you don't have to return there. You can just listen along. After Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, hey, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Mm -hmm. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire burning of coals. There was fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after He was raised. This is the last of the four stories that I want to kind of hit today pertaining to the disciples and the boat. This was the third time after Jesus had died that he appeared to them. And I'm sure that you can imagine what state the disciples were still in at this point. They had walked with Jesus. They had seen him do miraculous things. Healing of blind men. Healing of lame people. Right? Healing of demon-possessed men. They've seen him calm the storm. They'd seen him do all these things. And all of a sudden, Jesus is dead. Think about that. They would be questioning, and the doubts arise, and like, what is going on? But then they'd seen the risen Lord. But I'm sure that they were still floundering as to what was going on. They didn't know what to do. So what did they do? They did what they did best. They went fishing. Right? They said, hey, Peter's like, I'm going fishing. And the disciples are like, alright, well we'll go with you. And they went out and they went fishing. And it was kind of a lame fishing trip because they didn't catch anything. I've been on many fishing trips where I didn't catch anything. And it's hard. <laughs> You're like, really? But they didn't catch anything. Do you think that's on purpose? That they didn't catch anything? Absolutely. That's my God. He does things for a purpose and a plan. Right? They didn't catch a thing. And so, what happens next? 
This guy's standing on the beach. Hey, you catch anything? Pretty common question. If you're with my boys and we're around a lake and they see someone fishing, they immediately will go up to that guy and say, Did you catch anything? It's a very common question. And if they have, they'll look in the bucket and see all the fish in there and they'll pick it up and the guy's like, what are you doing? Why are you touching my fish? But the reality is, it's a common question. And the disciples answer back and they say, no, we haven't caught anything. And so Jesus says this. He says, well, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. Once again, Peter's like, really? And so you would think it would click. This guy's telling you to throw the nets on the other side of the boat. You would think they would remember their calling. But what happens? Right? When Jesus says that, they throw their nets on the other side of the boat, and they get so many fish, 153 fish to be exact. But yet the nets weren't breaking. And then the disciple whom God loves, or Jesus loves, which I think is John, he looks at Peter and says, Hey, that's the Lord. I love Peter's response here. He doesn't care about the fish. He wants to be with Jesus. And he wraps the outer garment around and says they're a hundred yards from shore and he hops out of that boat. Now I'm sure that was probably the second time he was close to walking on the water. But he flies across that water because he wants to be with Jesus. He's in that boat catching fish, but he says, hey, this isn't important. I want to be with the one who matters most. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Can you imagine the conversations that they had around that little fire on that beach with Jesus? Do you think that Jesus does this on purpose with the fish to remind them of what they are about? They are about catching men, not fish. They went out and did what they always do. They fished and they caught nothing. But Jesus reminded them, hey, you're no longer going to be fishing out here. You're going to be fishing on land and you're going to be fishing for men and women for the Lord Jesus Christ, for my name's sake. And right after this passage, we all know that Peter denied Jesus Christ three times. But right after this passage, he reminds Peter of his calling. And he challenges him three times and says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. No, Peter, do you love me? Of course, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? He reminds him of that. And then he says, follow me. And he even tells him the storm that will come, that he will one day die for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in that passage. Think about the disciples in the boat and how many lessons, life lessons that they've learned. Let me ask you a question. What is your boat? Is it life? I think it is. What lessons have you learned over time that you go back to that sustain you in the midst of those storms? I'm sure we all have those lessons that we go back to when another storm hits and we're like, okay, God, I've gone through this. I'm going through it again. Remind me of your great promises. Remind me of how you sustained me in the storm that I was in two years ago. We need to pull back the archives and remember what God has taught us. I think so often we get going in life and going and going and going that we forget. We get sidetracked by all the stuff around us instead of remembering what God's word was, which is come. 
Step out of the boat and follow me. It's not going to be easy, but you can trust me. And you can walk on water. And not only that, I've called you to be fishers of men. I've called you out of that boat so that you can walk this world and you can glorify my name and share the love of Jesus with the world around you. Whether that's your neighbors, for you parents, other parents in school, whatever it is, that's what God has called us to do. So, I remind you guys, what lessons has God taught you through the years on your fishing boat that you cling to as time marches forward? What lessons have you learned that maybe you have forgotten and need to be reminded of? Are there storms of life that you're going through right now, and there are people going through storms? I can look around a room and I can see Steve. I can see Becky, right? I can see Bob Quinn. Well, he's, I can't see him here, but we all know that he's going through a storm of life. I can see my mom sitting over there with my dad going through cancer and the storm of life that that brings. I can look at myself and say, I'm a failure as a father and the storm that that is and how many times have I failed in my desire for my kids to know the Lord and the struggle and the battle that that is. Are the storms of life causing you to live in fear or in the storms of life are you having, have you found peace? in knowing that Jesus is in the boat with you. And He has called you to that storm. And we can find peace in the midst of that storm. Are you being distracted in your life by what the wind is doing to the waves so that you begin to doubt and take your eyes off your rock, the stability for which life is found? If so, do this. Cry out to Christ, to the Lord Jesus. And what does he say? Immediately, he will reach out and draw you back. I can only imagine the times in the disciples' lives where they looked back on those days and the lessons that they learned in that boat. Walking and rowing, facing seas, the communication and the conversations that they had with one another and with Jesus. I'm sure that those fueled them as they went through some storms in life as we all know in the book of Acts, as they were threatened and challenged on all sides, as they faced death as martyrs. So that's 13 men in a boat. Lots of lessons. And I know that that's very quick to go through those stories and there's so much more to them. But my prayer is that we're reminded of who our God is, that He has ultimate authority over everything. Not just the sea and the wind and the fish, but He has authority over all things. And He is worthy to be trusted, and we can trust Him with everything in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, You are good and kind. I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that You can be trusted. May we in this room show the love of Christ to those that we meet. May You give us a spirit of compassion, of gentleness, of kindness. May you help us in the storms that we face each day to find peace. May we not take our eyes off and look at the instability of the world around us, but may we look at you, the rock of our salvation, and the firmness of who you are and the promises that you've made. May they be at the forefront of our minds and may we dwell on them day and night. I thank you that you are a God who does not leave us. I thank you that you are in the boat with us. And may we trust you in all things. Lord, I thank you 
for this morning and for the opportunity to hear your word. And I just pray that you would encourage us now in your name. Amen.